in my younger days, uh, for a while I was working in a factory, and uh, I remember being on break, I don't know what you really call lunch when it's, you know, the third shift, but uh, it was in the, in the break room, and there were these three guys that had started working there maybe a week before, and they weren't loving it, and so I remember uh, just hearing these guys talk, and I talked with them a little bit, and these three guys were, uh, during this lunch period, talking about they, they hated this job, they didn't want to be here, and one said, you know, this job is terrible, I don't want to be here, you know, at the end of this week, we should quit, and the other guy said, yeah, we should quit. And then another guy said, yeah, you know what, this job really is terrible. You know, at the end of today's shift, we should quit. And the other guy said, yeah, we should, we should quit. And the third guy spoke up and said, yeah, this job is terrible. We should just quit right now. And the other guy just said, yeah, we should. And they didn't even talk about it. They just got up and they just left. They just walked out. They didn't even punch out. And uh, they just left. And I never saw these guys again. Today's message is quit working. That is the sermon title that I have for you today. And it is, it is Labor Day weekend. Uh, so this uh, weekend that we, we celebrate the importance of labor by having people not go into work for a Monday. So a little bit of a mixed message. But yeah, I want to talk about quit working. I believe this is an important message, really important. Uh, but before I talk about what I mean by this, I want to talk to you about two things that I don't mean what I am not saying in this message. And the first thing that I am not saying when I tell you quit working, I am not telling you that you should quit going to work. Okay? I am not saying quit doing good work, uh, that you should quit your job, that you should not get a job, stop looking for a job, stop preparing yourself for a job. That's not what I'm saying. And right now, I think most of us know this, uh, there are all kinds of jobs that are out there for anyone that wants them, and there's a lot of people that just don't want them. They don't want to go to work. And maybe you've even seen signs like this in the internet or in real life. Uh, This is at a drive-thru saying, we are short-staffed. Please be patient with the staff that did show up. No one wants to work anymore. And you've probably encountered that in different places. I'm seeing some nodding heads, and maybe it's even in your your job or places that you've gone through and you didn't have the service because right now people would rather stay home and watch Netflix, you know, and get uh, government money and oftentimes being paid more to sit at home and watch Netflix than actually go and work for for the good of society. In fact, in an article this week from Bloomberg News, it just came out, it said... 50% 50% of firms had job openings they could not fill last month, up one percentage point from July and the largest share in monthly data back to 1986. Owners are raising compensation in an attempt to attract workers, and these costs are being passed on to consumers through price hikes for goods and services, creating inflation pressure. Bill Duncanberg of the National Federation of Independent Businesses chief economist said in a statement. It goes on and says, 91% of those companies hiring are, that, are, that are hiring or trying to hire indicated there were few or no qualified applicants for open positions, the report showed. So uh, right now, you know, the government, some of the policies that we have have been foolishly disincentivizing work, rewarding people for, for being lazy and not working when it's, when it's right out there, at least something. Uh, this isn't the main thing that we're talking about, 
But when I say quit working, this is, this is not what I'm saying. And that's not biblical either. Uh, in Scripture, we see that God is a God who works. He worked to create this world. He created work for us to do even before there was sin in the world. Work is not a result of it. It is a good, noble thing to be doing. And actually, in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul, the apostle, has to deal with uh, Christians there that were mooching off of other people when they could be working. And he tells them, sometimes you can read this whole paragraph, but he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I got a solution for their unwillingness to work. Uh, don't just give them food. They will find their motivation uh, very shortly. And so, you know, just laziness is not something to be encouraged. Now, this is for those that are, are um, unwilling to work. There are times when people legitimately can't work or you've saved up enough, you know, from your work that you're able to, to retire. But even then in your retirement, I hope that you're not just kicking back and doing nothing. I hope you're using your, your free time to serve others and to do good things in that way. So this message, quit working, does not mean that you should quit doing good work, that you should quit going to work. That is, is biblical and good. When we say quit working, as I tell you this, it also does not mean that you should quit doing good works. Sometimes we think, oh, we're, we're not saved by uh, works, we're saved by faith, and so good works don't really matter. I don't have to do good things. Oh, the Bible is really clear. God wants us to do good things. In fact, even in Ephesians uh, 2, after it talks about it, it makes super clear that salvation is by grace. It's not by works. It's received through faith, not by trying real hard. But then it goes on and says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not saved by your good works but we are created to do these things. God wants us to be serving others, to be helping others, to be uh, serving him and doing genuine good things. He says God prepared these in advance for us that we should walk in them. So we're not saying quit doing good work. We're not saying quit doing good works. So what do we mean here? When I'm telling you here on Labor Day weekend, giving you a message that's summarized by, by quit working. I want to tell you, I think this is a really important thing, what I'm going to be stressing the rest of this message. And honestly, I think this is a key that is neglected so often when people present the gospel to others and we explain it. And I think it explains why so often there are people that uh, believe that they're saved or even um, have maybe prayed you know, for Jesus, you know, uh, come into my heart or Jesus, you know, be, be my savior. But there's some reason why you don't see any change in their life. They don't show any sign of being, being born again by the Spirit from the inside out. And ultimately, they're, they're not born again. They're not saved. You know, it's like if you have a light switch. And you're flipping the light switch, but nothing's happening. We have a light switch like that in our, in our bathroom. And maybe 15 years ago, I tried to take the panel off. And as far as I can, I can't tell what's wrong. And then I just kind of gave up on it. And so just doesn't work. You can flip the switch, but nothing happens. There's something behind there that's shorted or disconnected, but I don't know what it is. And so this message is to help kind of diagnose something that I think is very common, uh, some kind of disconnect, something behind the scenes, why someone might even be, you know, I'm trying to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm trying to trust him as my savior and Jesus saved me. And they're flipping the light switch, but nothing's happening. 
and it's because of this issue. Because there's something that they need to do, and what they need to do is they need to quit. They need to quit working. So when I say quit working, what I do mean by this, for this message, is that quit working does mean that you should quit trying to work for your salvation. That part of being saved, part of trusting Jesus Christ and being forgiven, being born again, is also that you need to quit trying to earn it, trying to work for it. Let me give you, I'm going to give you several passages here because I want you to realize this isn't something I'm making up. This isn't something that's just in one little place in Scripture. This is the, the main part of this message, and I, I just want to drill this home so we understand this on uh, this, this Labor Day weekend to quit working. Great passage on this, I think is really clear, is in Romans 4, 4 through 5. And this is in the context he's talking about salvation, what it's all about. Okay, so that's the, the whole flow of Romans and how it's going. We're all sinners. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're saved through Christ and his work on our behalf. It's received through faith. But then at one point he says it's Romans 4, 4 through 5. He explains, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is huge. I mean, look at this, think about this, meditate on this. So he's saying there's kind of two paths. There's one that is trying to work, and they're trying, in the context here, they're trying to work for their salvation. They're trying to earn it by being good. You know, a lot of people do this. Like, I got to get serious with God. I got to stop these sins, or I got to start doing these good things. I got to turn over a new leaf. And God, help me, I'm going to try real hard. I think sometimes people even pray, you know, Jesus, come into my heart. And you have to find out, well, what do you you think you mean by that? And I've talked to people that really what they meant is, Jesus, come into my heart and help me to work harder to be a better person. Well, look at this passage. The one who works, if you're working for your salvation, think of how wages work. When you go to work and you you have a contract or an agreement to get a certain amount, and when you are given that check at the end of the pay period, this is not a gift. This is something that you have have earned. It's your due. It's what you have coming to you. And so that's why this says, if you were to try to work for your salvation, this wouldn't be a gift. It wouldn't be grace. This would be something that you just, you have coming to you as your due. Which, by the way, the book of Romans also says that what the wages that we have, the wages of sin is death. If you want to try and claim what you've got coming to you, it's death, spiritual death eternal separation from God. But this verse goes on and says, and the one who does not work, okay, so you quit working, at least quit working for your salvation, but you do something else instead, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. So to believe is to have faith. It's to put your trust in something else. So you're stopping trusting in your good works or you're trying hard. And instead, you're going to trust in him, Jesus, who justifies the ungodly. This means he doesn't justify the godly people. Well, he's going to save those that are really good. And guess what? That's none of us, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God justifies the ungodly. And justified, it's, a, it's like a lawyer saying, or like a judge 
saying, I declare you to be righteous. That you have sinned and in yourself you are ungodly, but God, as the ultimate judge, can declare you and will declare you as not just innocent, but righteous if you have turned to Jesus Christ and put your trust, transferred all of your trust into him, the Lord Jesus, as your Savior. That's what it means when it says his faith is counted as righteousness, that in the eyes of God, you are considered to be, again, not just innocent, but righteous with Jesus's righteousness credited to you because of what Jesus has done in your place. So it's the two sides here I want us to realize that, yes, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. But to actually really do that, you also need to stop trusting in anything else for your salvation. To stop trusting in your own good works, your own efforts, or uh, just anything that could be around you, any man-made work that there, that there is, and trust in Christ alone. It's like if you are... When people are drowning, you know, and uh, my wife was a lifeguard, and so she would explain some of these things uh, to me. You know, when people are out there, they're, they're drowning, they're thrashing around. You know, a lot of times the lifeguards, they have to hold off and wait for them to stop trying to swim and stop thrashing around, or else they're just going to be dragged down with them. And sometimes, you know, it, it's, okay, I, c- I can't rescue you until you stop and let me rescue you. In the same way, we need to stop trying to save ourselves so that Jesus can rescue us. Because that's, that's how it works. Let me give you another passage from the book of Romans. Romans 10, 1 through 4. This is Paul. Again, he's talking. He had explained the salvation message. And now he's talking about the fact that so many of his countrymen, okay, the, the Jews, some of them had believed Christ and that were saved, but most of them hadn't. They had rejected. And so, you know, if God is sovereign, if he has his plan, how do you explain this? And so this is the context of, of Paul talking about this. And he says here, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He's talking about his fellow Jews, his fellow you know, ethnic Jewish people. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he's saying they're passionate for God. You know, they're fired up for God. They're, they're, they're committed, but they're doing it in the wrong way. There's something wrong with this. And then he explains what it is. He says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is a great passage because it's saying he does have this, his heart's desire. I mean, he's, he wants these people to be saved. He hasn't just you know, written them off. He is praying for them. He's bringing the gospel to them. He doesn't know who God is going to save, but he wants them to, God to save them. But he's saying there's a problem. And these people, it's not just that they're, you know, they're, eh, we don't really care about God at all. No, they're fired up. This shows us too that commitment to God is not the same as being saved. There's a lot of people that get really committed to God, uh, but there can be a way that, you know, there's some kind of short circuit behind the wall and they're flipping the white switch, but nothing's coming on. This is also why, I'll just tell you this, I don't use 
the phrase when I evangelize to commit your life to Christ. And the reason that I do that is because, I mean, I think you should. Okay, I think you um, should be committed. He is the, the only Lord that there is, and we need to come under, you know, submit to him. But if you say it like that and you don't explain it more, sometimes what can happen is that people will hear that the wrong way and think it's just about, okay, salvation is about me being more committed. And I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to try harder to be a better person, to commit myself. And they end up like these people, that they have zeal for God, but they're trying to establish their own righteousness. God will save me if I try harder. And so I, there are people that have been saved with that phrase, you know, commit yourself to, to, to God, commit yourself to Christ. But it depends what you mean by that and how you hear that. So if you mean I'm going to try harder to earn my salvation, that's not salvation yet. Now, if you mean committed in the sense that I'm entrusting myself fully to Jesus Christ to save me, that's the type of commitment that actually does save. Like when you commit your money to a bank, you're saying, I trust you with this. So the, the type of commitment that does save is when we say, this is my life, my soul, my destiny, and my eternity, I am trusting it to the care of Jesus Christ as the Lord, the one who died on the cross and rose for me. So if you use that phrase when you communicate the gospel, you've got to be careful and you've got to make sure you explain it because you know, sinners will, will hear things the wrong way. Sin is like wax in our ears and it keeps us from hearing the truth in the right way. So we have to be extra clear about it and pray for the Holy Spirit to uh, help these things to really sink in. They're trying to earn their salvation, but at the end it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And sometimes, you know, commentators have different views on this. Uh, It's kind of hard to, what what does that mean, the end of the law for righteousness? But I think uh, an interpretation of this that I think makes a lot of sense in the flow of thought is that he's saying, okay, you can be trusting in works for righteousness. You can be trusting in your commitment for righteousness. That's what you think is going to get you saved. But when you come to Christ, this is the end of you trusting in the law for your righteousness. This is the end of you trusting in your own good deeds, your own good works, human effort. And instead, you receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ instead, and you lean on him wholly. Again, it's like if you were, you fall off a cliff sometime, and you're hanging there on this branch, and you want somebody to come to save you, you know, and, and they come over, and they have this, you know, this helicopter, and they say, okay, you got to let go of the branch, and we'll catch you. You know, it's just not, you need the person there to catch you, but you also need to let go. So there's the two parts of this. There's the letting go of what you were trusting on. And that means you've got to be trusting in the other person that they're really going to catch you. And if you do, you're willing to let go. If you trust Jesus Christ, that you can commit your eternity to him, that he will catch you, he will take care of you, then you can be willing in faith and belief to let go of trusting in your own righteousness. So we have to ask yourself, you know, is your hope in Jesus or is your hope in your commitment to Jesus? And I think there's a lot of people, even time, sometimes that go to church, that they're not actually born again yet because their hope is in their commitment to Jesus 
rather than in, in Jesus. Let me give you another passage that makes this clear. I, got, I have two more main passages here. Because I just want you to realize this is throughout the New Testament. Galatians 3, 10 through 11. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So we talk about belief, we talk about faith. It's what you are relying in. When the Bible uses belief, it's the same word that gets translated as trust or have faith or reliance. It's not just, oh, this is what I believe to be true in some kind of you know, academic sense or some kind of uh, just these are the statements I believe are true. There are some statements you do need to believe that are true, but even deeper than this, it's about what are you relying on to get you to heaven. And this passage says if you're relying on obeying God's rules, it's not going to work. And this is actually some quotes from Deuteronomy. Uh, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. So God gave Israel all these laws and all these rules, and they said, yeah, we're going to live by them. But guess what? They, They didn't. They couldn't. They were not morally good enough to do this. And so there's consequences. And it's not just a matter of, well, can you keep some of God's laws, and that's good enough. No, if you were going to try to be saved by law-keeping, you would have to obey everything perfect from beginning to end. And that's even if somehow you came into this world with no stain of sin from Adam, which we actually all have that too. Okay? Uh, So none of us are probably going to get through today without sinning. Okay? And we have all these sins in the past. We have all these things if we really realize what sin is and sin in the heart. And so this way of being saved doesn't work because we have not abided by all the things written in the book of the law. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified. Okay, no one is going to be saved, declared righteous in God's sight before God by the law, by rule keeping, whether it's the Old Testament rules, whether it's rules that we in our modern society have made up that said this is what a good person is. None of those ways are going to get you to heaven. Being saved by rule-keeping doesn't work. But it says, the righteous shall live by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. So to make this real clear, what I'm saying, I'll bring up this statement. I hope maybe you write this down along with these verses. To be saved, yes, you need to trust in Christ's blood and righteousness on your behalf. You need to do that. And I love how it's phrased that way, and uh, it's a song we sing about Christ's blood and righteousness, and it gets at what Jesus did for us when it talks about his blood. You know, that stands for his, uh, his, his, his death. When he shed his blood for us, he took, when he went to the cross, and in all his sufferings leading up to that, he took the punishment for sinners. He took the punishment for those that he's saving, that, that he absorbs it on himself. He takes the wrath that we deserve. He takes the wrath of God that we deserve. So that's his, um, uh, his, his they call this sometimes the passive work of Christ. There's also the active work, his righteousness. Not only did he suffer to take your sins, he also fulfilled the law in your place. And so you're saved by both these sides, his blood, his suffering for you, and also his righteousness, his law-keeping in your place. He came into this world without original sin. 
Uh, he was born of a virgin. He came into this world as, as sinless, as a, a, a new and better Adam to start things over, unstained by Adam's sin. And he is the only one that lived a perfect life without sinning. Scripture is clear. But also completely keeping God's law from beginning all the way to the end. The only other people that were able to do that for a little bit of time were Adam and Eve for a little bit, and then they blew it, and then they sinned. But Jesus kept it going all the way to the end. And so that's his righteousness, so that when you're saved, your sin is credited to his account. He took it on the cross for you. And his righteousness is credited to you, so that God views you as having kept the law as perfectly as Jesus because he is your substitute for you. And so that's part of what you need to do, okay? And this is oftentimes how we say it, but the point of this message is to make clear that the other part of this is that you also need to quit trusting in all other human righteousness. This is the the problem in the wiring behind the wall why some people aren't saved. I'm going to trust in Jesus' blood and righteousness, but they're still trusting in something else. They're still depending on their good works or some other human good works. Because uh, maybe it's, well, I'm depending, I come from a good family. My parents and grandparents, they were Christians. And they went to church their whole life, so I'm saved. Or I come from a you know, good church or a good denomination. There's some that they trust in, you know, the saints or they're trusting in things that Mary has done or, or whoever. Uh, but they're trusting in something else besides Christ. And they're not trusting in Christ alone to be the one to save them. I was explaining the um, gospel to someone a few weeks ago, and this illustration kind of uh, came to mind as I was just kind of talking. I said, you ever been to a place where they require like a wristband for you to like get in? And you you have to have like a, a different wristband. And so I got some wristbands here. Let's see if I'm talented enough to put it on. All right. You know, and they won't let you in unless, unless you have a wristband. And I think most people, you know, if, well, deep down everyone believes in God, whether they admit it or not, uh, but they're basically depending on some kind of human righteousness, their own works. So let's say this wristband, depend, this represents human works, you know, whether it's you or, you know, some other human that's, that's not Jesus, uh, to get him into heaven. Well, I'm going to be saved because I'm going to go before God and he's going to say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Look at the things I've done. And so whether they say it or not, that's what they're depending on. They think this is their ticket to get into heaven. Like you would need a wristband to get into a, a concert or a movie or an event or something like that. And then somebody explains the gospel message to them and says, guess what? You're, the Bible is super clear. No one is saved by good works. No one is saved by, uh, by, by doing good works. You need Jesus uh, to be the one that saves you. Okay, that's true. But I think a lot of times what happens then is they say, oh, okay, I need Jesus to save me, so I better um, add, you know, Jesus and his work. You know, him as my Savior, his, his blood and righteousness. And so I'm going to add that as well. So we got this other wristband here, and this will represent Jesus' blood and righteousness. Now I'm really good, okay? Because I got, I, I got this one, and if this one doesn't work, I got this one, and if this, I got a backup plan, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in for sure, because look at this, I've, I've got all kinds of stuff. I think there's all kinds of people that are not born again because they're trying to get into heaven with two wristbands. 
They're trying to get in heaven with, with Jesus, but also their own good works and their own effort. So the huge point of this message is to let you know that the other part of trusting in Christ fully means you've got to stop depending on this. And a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to cut this one off because I, I think I need that to get in. And if I, what if, what if this one isn't enough? What if Jesus' blood isn't enough to get me in? Well, if that's the case, are you really relying on him? Or do you not really, you don't have enough confidence in Jesus? You got your confidence kind of split. So in order to be saved, not only, yeah, do you need to add Jesus' blood and righteousness and depend on him, but part of that to really do that the right way also means that you are cutting off, that you are removing any other type of human work. And saying, I don't need that. I'm not going to depend on that. I can show up and if, I don't know how it works. You go up and you're at the pearly gate and God says, I'm going to let, you know, why should I let you in? And a lot of people are going to claim, oh, I was a good person. I gave money. I've heard people answer that. You know, I went to church every week and I paid my tithes and I did this. I'm sure he's going to let me in. Now you're depending on works. Well, I believed in Jesus too. All right, well, you're trying to get with your two wristbands. But if you really believed what the Bible is saying, you really had your confidence, you'd say, I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's all I need. And I am confident in what he has done. And this isn't wishful thinking. The Bible spells this out super clearly to us. One last passage I think makes this real clear. This is the book of Philippians. Paul is talking, this is the Apostle Paul again, and he is talking about those that are trying to teach salvation by works. And he starts by talking this, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, so if, if it was all about being confident in human good works, he's saying, I got a lot that I could boast on, there's a lot that I could depend on. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, hey, I have more. If you're saved by being a good guy, I'm a good guy. And he starts listing them. <clears throat> All these Old Testament things that he says, check, check, check. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, which in that day they thought, oh, those are the guys that are really serious about the law. He really keeps every little detail of it and, he, and more. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. We think, well, that's a bad thing. But he's saying, I'm, I'm zealous. I'm out there. I'm, a, I'm an activist. I'm doing these things. So as to righteousness under the law, he said blameless. Really, he felt like he was that way, that if you measured him by the law, he felt, oh, man, I'm a good person. But then he goes on. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever profit he had, whatever was, he thought was good in his account, he says, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he used to be depending on his own works and he thought, I got a lot of these. But he has a shift where he's saying, now I realize whatever I thought was my gain, my profit, I realize this is worthless. This isn't going to help me. And he says, 
I count them as rubbish. I now in my mind, I consider them worthless. The word for rubbish here is actually kind of a strong word in Greek. It could be translated, let's say, as dung or something like that. He's saying, I consider these things that worthless so that I could gain Christ. That he's cutting off his, his other wristband so he can depend on Christ alone. You know, a way that you could think about this too is, is kind of like this. If you thought of like a profit and loss column, like you're doing accounting, okay, uh, or your, your, your home budget, you think of what are things that go in the plus column? You know, this is income, these are good things. And what are your losses? What are your debts? And basically Paul is saying, hey, the way it used to be, I used to list all these things. Look what a good law keeper I am. I keep the rules really good. God's going to be happy with me because I am awesome at keeping rules. But then when he understood the gospel, the good news of Jesus and how we're actually saved, he says, I consider these things that I once thought were gain, I once thought were in the profit column, and now I consider these to be, to be rubbish, to be a loss, he says, so that I may gain Christ. Well, what's in his profit column? Well, the only thing that matters is Jesus. He's trusting in him. Jesus died for me. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus' blood and righteousness. I think that's a helpful way to think of it. Again, it's not just adding Jesus as another thing to your profit column. It's also recognizing that everything that you used to be depending on is actually loss cutting off the other, the wristband. I think there are also even ways that um, people in the church have explained things poorly and have caused there to be people, I think, sometimes, you know, churches that get packed out by people that really don't understand the gospel. A number of years ago, I read a uh, book by a big, at the time, big megachurch pastor you know, huge, you know, shiny megachurch. And he was, wrote another book on evangelism. People thought, well, listen to this guy because he's really good at getting people in seats at church. And so he must be really good at explaining the gospel. And in his book on evangelism, he gave, gives an illustration that he says, here's how I explain the gospel and here's how you could too. So with everything we have in mind, I want you to evaluate this illustration and think, would you use this? Or would you say no? And he calls this the morality ladder. Okay? And this is something that comes in evangelical and writes lots of books on evangelism. And he says, the morality ladder illustration expresses the universal need for God. If you have friends who don't think they have any real use for God, this one's for you. Envision morality as escalating rungs on a ladder. God sits at the top of the ladder because he's holy. He's perfectly moral. And of course, really evil people are at the bottom. Mass murderers and the like. And the rest of humanity is somewhere in between. And then he talks about how he draws this for people, you know, on a piece of paper or a napkin so they can visualize this. When I draw this for people, I ask them to put a mark somewhere on the ladder that represents where they believe they are based on the kind of morals they keep. He says, this, I'm re- he says, before I go any further, though, I toss in a few assumptions. Mother Teresa, I say, would probably qualify for a rung about three-fourths the way up. So he says he draws, like, initials for Mother Teresa. She was this nun that she helped the poor for years in India. We say, well, she's a good person. So he puts her, there, like, not all the way to the top, but, like, three-fourths of the way up. And he says, 
And just as a guess, Billy Graham probably follows right below her. So he puts Billy Graham, I don't know why, <laughs> but below her. But uh, then he says, as far as I'm concerned, he says, I guarantee I land lower than these two. And I place the initials of the three of us on the ladder. And I leave an honorable amount of space between Billy Graham and, uh, him, uh, and himself. Then he says, then I hand over the pen Inevitably, the person I'm in conversation with writes his or her initials just south of me. Okay, I say, here's my only question. What is your plan to make up the gap? And I'm quoting here from this book on tell you how you can evangelize. He says, Mother Teresa had a plan for her morality gap. I continue, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham has a plan for closing the gap between his level of morality and God's standard for perfection. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. So what's your plan? If you believe that you can rise to the standard of God's holiness on a self-improvement program, you will waste the rest of your life in a spin cycle. Real freedom is found when you ditch the man-made plans and choose to accept the work that Jesus did on the cross. You can be forgiven, live an abundant life. The morality gap can be closed once and for all by choosing faith in Christ. Would you use that illustration? Please do not. No. You know what that is going to put in somebody's mind? That's going to put in their mind that, oh, I guess there's some people that were like, you know, three-fourths of the way to being saved, and I'm like half, and you just need Jesus to make up the difference. That all you need is Jesus, you know, to, to make up the gap in what you couldn't do. And what happened that Jesus paid it all? Not Jesus paid the last 20%. Okay? I have no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That means you're, you're getting off the ladder completely. You're not trusting in that at all. And you're just trusting in Jesus himself. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Not some kind of split between I'll do my part and Jesus will make up the difference and we think we're good. I hope I've made this clear. Let me close by giving you four, I think, results of quitting of quitting working like this, to quitting working, earning for your salvation. And one, it, salvation is not short-circuited. I'm not going to read these uh, verses. Uh, they're ones you can kind of look up. I think they back up what I'm saying here. Uh, but like I said, I think so many people, there's sometimes their, their salvation is short-circuited because in some way behind the scenes, you know, behind the wall, there's something wrong and they're still trusting in themselves. And so they're flipping the light switch of praying some prayer, but nothing's happening. And so this can stop salvation from being short-circuited when we trust Jesus enough to say, I'm going to stop trying to depend on anything else. My righteousness, human righteousness, saints or Mary or, uh, you know, anything else that's not what Jesus did for me. Also, the benefit, God gets all the glory. I'm God in his brilliance made a plan of salvation that we would not have come up with if we were in charge of this we would have just said okay it's good people go to heaven bad people go to hell and maybe you know you put them on the scale and at least the the good outweighs the bad Uh, that's what pretty much every other religion does that's the human way of thinking god came up with something that is mind-blowingly different but through this he gets all the glory in ephesians when it talks about we're saved by grace and grace alone. It's received by faith, by trusting alone. 
not of works that no one may boast. If you think that you're saved in part, even 1% by your good works, you're going to pat yourself on the back. And at least I did my little 1%. And you're going to rob that glory. You're going you're to rip that glory off from God and take it for yourself. But if salvation is like this, all glory to Jesus. He gets it all because he did it all for us. Recognizing this also gives peace and rest to your soul. So many people are still in feelings of guilt and in bondage and sometimes go to church and some people, they do all these good deeds and they're even lighting candles and giving money and all this, trying to get rid of this, this guilt and it never goes away. It's because they're still at some point trying to earn their salvation. The passage that we read in the beginning from Romans 4, the one that does not work but instead trusts the God who justifies the ungodly, it goes on and it says, just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. Through the real gospel, you can have this peace of knowing that you are right with God, your sins are forgiven, you are saved and that is locked in, and God will never count your sins against you. That your sins are just wiped out because of the blood of Christ and what he did for you. Your soul can finally have rest if you quit working and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins. And last, it frees you up to work out your salvation with different motives. In Philippians 2, 12-13, it tells us to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation, but you work out your salvation. God has created us to do good works. But when you really understand the Bible's message of salvation, now you can serve God and you can do these things with a different mindset, a different motive, a, a different purity of, of motive. Instead of, oh, I got to do these good things because I got to earn my salvation. I hope I'm doing more good than bad. Instead, you realize I, I, I'm saved. My sins are gone. And a real Christian then does not think, sweet, I can go live like the devil and do whatever I want. A real Christian, when you're born again and now you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you recognize, wow, Jesus paid it all for me. I need to live a different life. And the Spirit helps you, changing you from the inside out. And now you serve him out of love, out of gratitude, looking forward to, to knowing him more, to pleasing him, uh, to seeing you know, his work be done in other people's lives. And it's not like a mercenary, what's in it for me? You're able to serve God in, freely in this new way. And that only works if you receive Christ by faith and you stop trusting in your own good works. Have you done that? I hope you have. I hope that even before you'd walk out here, if the Holy Spirit is causing you to understand this, you realize you're a sinner, you have to realize that, and you have to realize sin is bad. Because the Lord is the Lord, and he's the one that deserves to be calling the shots in your life. And to be sinning against him is rebellion, and that's a bad thing. And if that's weighed on you, and you're turning to Jesus, the one to save you, don't just put on Jesus as your Savior. But trust him enough that you can cut off that other wristband that I'm going to stop trusting in my good works. I'm going to cast myself wholly 
on Jesus, the God-man, and what he did for me. We'd love to talk to you about that afterwards if you any questions or if you'd like somebody to pray with you. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you with empty hands. We claim nothing of our works, nothing of our own righteousness. Instead, we simply cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, who lived a perfect life for sinners like us, who died on the cross in our place. We empty our hands and we cling wholly to the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation. May you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.